When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and it's AFCON time. We've got our finalists. We've had drama. We've had penalties. We've had goals that counted and then didn't count so that other goals could then be scored, and those would count. It's been wild. Here with me to talk about all that's happened, including a look back at our favorite moments of the tournament, is Super Eagles Super Stan himself. It's Joe Lowry. Joe, you feeling pleased about Nigeria making the final? I am feeling so pleased, Taylor. I also think your your intro, which was excellent and right on the money, I think that is exactly what non-soccer fans think drama in soccer is like. You know, there was a goal that didn't count, so that yeah. then on the other side, a goal could be scored in a 1-1 game. I think hey. that is what the non-soccer folks are here for. What they don't understand, Taylor, is how crazy it really was. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned indeed. Uh, before we can talk about that game, we should first introduce our other co-host, uh, Graham Ruffin, who I understand is building a stadium in his backyard, which is reportedly being financed by the Chinese government. Graham, how goes construction? <laughs> Hello, Taylor Rockwell. I mean, frankly, who isn't building a stadium in their back garden that's been chi- uh, f- funded by the Chinese government? It feels like everyone is uh, is up to that these days, including Ivory Coast, whose yeah. uh, main stadium, the stadium that will host the final this Sunday, was designed and paid for by China. So there you go. There we go. Uh, yes, Graham uh, has laid it out there. But Graham, why am I why am I referencing this? Uh, why do you specifically get this billing? So that is today's uh, Afcon Dispatch story. So you can find the Afcon Dispatch. It's been t- uh, temporarily rebranded as the Afcon Dispatch until the end of the tournament. You're it's not normally keep the that soccer. Going afterwards, uh, not after Afcon <laughs> is over. That might be right. a little bit confusing. Uh, it has been a good tournament. Maybe in tribute, I'll keep it going for another month. But no, after Sunday, it will be back to the Soccer Dispatch, and you can find it at uh, thesoccerdispatch.substack.com if you want to subscribe to that. That would be very much appreciated. Grim, can I can I ask? So I saw the email and I, I even opened the tab and then realized I still had another half of the Ivory Coast taking on DR Congo to finish before we started recording. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, you're talking about China paying for for soccer infrastructure in the Ivory Coast. I believe they've done similar things even in the CONCACAF region. Yeah. Like, they're not doing this for free, surely, or are, or are they doing it for free? Like, what is the benefit for China outside of maybe goodwill, question mark? Yeah, well, that's part of it. Joe is political influence and just broadening their 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 sphere of influence across the the world. Um, but they have funded previous Afcons when Gabon hosted Afcon. Both of the stadiums they co-hosted it. Both of their stadiums were were again designed and paid for by the Chinese government. And it seems to be linked with this uh, this initiative called the Belt and Roads Initiative, which essentially is to increase the level of exports and trade between Ivory Coast and and, and China. Now the Cynical um, observers that I found who had analysed this said that basically Ivory Coast has a lot of uh, raw resources and minerals and things that are very handy for China's manufacturing industry. And so that's essentially what they are getting out of it. But it's this weird arms race where Saudi Arabia are backing the African uh, Football League, which is the, the African Super League equivalent. And Qatar Stadium was bought for, uh, paid for by China or partially paid for. The, 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 the stadium that hosted the World Cup final in Qatar, the Lucille Stadium, was also, there was involvement from China in that as well. So there are all kinds of uh, political and ec- economical vines throughout world football that are a little bit difficult to untangle. Are the construction costs, Graham, as you understand them, are they loans or is it China basically just paying for the construction, but then there are other reasons that you've already alluded to as to why they might be doing that? I never, I didn't see anything that said there were loans. It's part of this Belt and Roads initiative, which I think the investment at this point is $7.5 billion in the Ivory Coast. And it's even things like the expansion of 
um, the ports, the main ports in, in Ivory Coast and roads and train stations. So football is just one part of that. But um, I'm not entirely sure if there's some kind of clause that maybe if it's a floating stadium, Joe, as to your idea. And if Ivory Coast fail to meet certain criteria, that stadium flies to Beijing through the night. Maybe that's what will happen. <laughs> Joe, very excited about that one. Uh, Joe, as we've already established, excited about Nigeria making it to the final, uh, courtesy of a victory in the penalty shootout. This was an interesting game. Nil-nil at halftime. We get a penalty relatively early in the second half. Then we get a goal for Nigeria that's disallowed, and then a penalty for, for South Africa, which is converted. And then 30 minutes of extra time, which, as Joe has pointed out many, many times, really shouldn't be happening. Joe, was this a good sort of reminder as to some of yes. your consistent refrains of extra time shouldn't count and knockout round football is not always the best type of football we're going to be seeing. Yeah, it's not even that extra time shouldn't count. It just shouldn't exist, right? Yeah. Every time there's a good moment in extra time and that they're they're not uh, completely invisible. But every time there's a good one, people tweet at me and get angry and like, aha, see, you were wrong. That That's not how this works, right? The exception does not prove the rule. Uh, in general, the extra 30 minutes at the end of a soccer game are almost always just a stall for both teams until you get to the penalty shootout. That sort of is how this game felt. But man, I, I almost was fine with the 30 minutes of extra time because I was still on the high of how this game ended, right? We'll talk about some of the tactical stuff and some of the interplay between these two teams. Maybe some reasons why it wasn't a barn burner for most of regulation. But you get to the end and there's like this crazy drama, right? Percy Tao is fouled. Just inside the box, in, inside Nigeria's penalty box. Uh, I should say South Africa attacker, Percy Tao. It's not called. Nigeria go down and score at the other end. Victor Osiman taps the ball into the back of the net. It's 2-0. Everybody's celebrating. Nigeria are through to the final. It's a great run for them. It's a great moment for them. And then things are brought back to VR, which, by the way, has been executed, I, I think, and I'm not the only one who thinks this, very, very well at this tournament. In general, the delays have been short. The decisions, I think, have been correct, by and large. Things have moved along very well, and I think there are certain leagues, <laughs> Premier League, uh, that could probably take some, uh, some notes in this whole situation. But uh, South Africa come down at the other end and score the penalty. And all of a sudden, it's 1-1, and this sucker's going to extra time. South Africa had a real chance to win it in the shootout. Ronwin Williams, as the, obviously the next Ballon d'Or winning goalkeeper, as we talked about earlier in the week, couldn't quite elevate uh, from the heroics he had in the last round. Man, the ending of this game, specifically regulation and then the shootout, were were really fun. Uh, Graham, your thoughts on the, those final few minutes? Given that it did feel like Nigeria had a good amount of control in this game, South Africa yeah. gets some opportunities, don't get me wrong, but this felt like Nigeria were going to see out that 1-0 win, and then it was a 2-0 win, but then it was not. Yeah, so I very much agree with Joe. For, four, eh, for 85 minutes excuse me, of this match, I, I thought Nigeria had managed to avoid the AFCON chaos bug that has afflicted so many other teams at this tournament. Um, tournament football is the term I keep using with, with Nigeria. I think they're a good tournament team. And we saw that again, again in this match. Uh, their defence looked pretty solid. South Africa were struggling to create much, although there were a couple openings in the in the first half. And there's a, a shot uh, in the second half, I think about the 80-minute mark, from uh, uh, Matt Gopa, which was particularly dangerous where he takes the quick touch and then fires the shot um, kind of past the, the far post. But other than that, I thought Nigeria, as you say, Taylor, were, were generally in control and then they scored that second goal. I can't quite remember a moment that's given me such whiplash watching as a fan where you go from Nigeria, okay, they're cruising through to the final, they've got their, they've booked their ticket to the final and then all of a sudden they've been pegged back, it's 1-1, they're going to extra time and they could be heading out of the tournament. So that just we can just add that moment to the, the list of chaotic uh, spectacles and moments that have happened at this at this tournament. It was, and of course, M M uh, Madow as well had that late chance yeah. to win it in stoppage time, which yeah. uh, would have been an incredible turnaround if South Africa had pulled that out of the bag. He skies it over the bar in the end, and Nigeria uh, get through on, on penalties, which I think is fair. They they have been, for my money, probably the best team at this tournament. I know Ivory Coast have found some momentum, but I can't discount how the group stage went for them. Nigeria just seems stable. They seem pretty strong. And I am pleased that they've they've ended up in the final, even though it completely discredits my <laughs> prediction that they would go out in the group stage. But I, I, I've liked what I've seen from them at this tournament. Uh, of the two, did you all feel like this was the better semi-final? Yes. Not by much, but it did have that element of chaos towards the end. 
um, which the, the other game, by the way, yeah. stay tuned for that, the chat about that game. <laughs> uh, but the other game didn't really have that, that element. <laughs> Grim, I think people knew what this episode was going to be. And we, we're all going to get some fun stuff, some, some moments of the tournament later on. I think they knew what this was going to be when we started talking about China's geopolitical influence and stadium infrastructure <laughs> before we talked about the actual soccer. So if they're here, they're here because they love us and they do love AFCON. So I no problem with that. But yes, this was, Taylor, for me, the better of the two games. I thought it was a little... Uh, a little higher quality in in the actual soccer that we saw, not a lot, and then it, it absolutely had that chaos element as well. So the the question then becomes: if if we're saying neither of these games was a particularly electric game, even if there was maybe a more electric finish, at, or at least to moments of this game, Nigeria versus South Africa, we can still have some takeaways as we look ahead to the final. Joe, why do you feel like this wasn't sure. a, as strong of a game as it could have been? Yeah, so we've seen Nigeria consistently go with a back three in this competition. In this game, they were in a 5-4-1 defensively. They, they attack out of a 3-4-3 shape. And early on, they had a, a decent bit of the ball before South Africa kind of wrestled some of that control away from them as the match wore on. But Nigeria, when they were defending, or when they, are in, when they were attacking, either way, they've got three center backs, they've got two central midfielders, they've got two wide players, two guys in the half space, and one number nine, right? That number nine being Victor Osimhen. You look at the other side of this game, South Africa... How did they set up? Well, defensively, they didn't always flatten their wingers in the same way that Nigeria did, but they're in a 5-2-3 shape defensively, sort of in this mid-block, wanting to win the ball you know, near midfield and then attack quickly on the break early on, and they shifted into a little bit more of a controlling role as the match wore on. But they had three center backs, two center midfielders, two wide players, two guys in the half space, and one number nine. Football is not, not played on paper, right? This game is not always played on paper. But there were a lot of situations in this match where there were players just naturally almost shadow marking their opponents, right? So you think about all all of the symmetry that you see with two, three, four, three shapes stacked on top of each other. Even if, you know, Nigeria are in possession, even if South Africa's two wingers aren't pressing right up against Nigeria's double pivot, maybe the double pivot for South Africa are stepping up and it's 2v2 in that area. It was a lot of individual matchups all over the field, not exclusively, right? There was some flow to this game, but in general... With these two shapes matching up against each other, neither team really seemed eager to take a ton of risks, right? That's that's something that defines a lot of knockout soccer. Like, neither team really wanted to be the team that took a chance, leaving themselves exposed on the other end. It was a lot of conservative passing. It was a lot of slow off-ball movement. And when you're not moving with speed and not, you know, reorganizing yourselves higher up the field and having players interchange and shift into different roles and all that stuff, when you're not doing those things... Things get static, and when things are static, it makes it really easy for the opposing defense to mark you, and it's even easier when they already are naturally aligned to sort of deal with your attacking shape to begin with. It was true on both sides of the field in this game. There was very little that differentiated one team from the other. The the biggest thing, I thought, that differentiated Nigeria, and and I think one of the reasons why they are right up there in terms of favorites, I'm having a hard time at the moment picking between Nigeria and Ivory Coast, but one of the reasons to get past in this game is because of Victor Olsiman. They had the best player on the field. He earns that penalty kick, finally dropping in to get a little bit of a touch on the ball. He was the one factor for me. Percy Tao was active on the other side, and he's been active in this tournament. But Osiman was the one factor for me who like, tried to take the game over. He didn't do it enough. I don't think he touched the ball nearly enough, and Nigeria are clearly a better team when his foot is on the ball. But he finally drops in, turns a little bit of a, a sloppy you know, first or second touch there, but maintains his composure, and then drives forward into the box, draws a penalty kick because South Africa are not prepared to deal with his speed in that moment and his technical ability. Like He was the difference maker, not really a lot of crazy tactical stuff. Joe, when you talk about the, the lack of risks that South Africa um, took in this game, I think that's a really good way to, to sum up this team's issue. And they've had that issue throughout the tournament because they, they do some things well. There's a reason they were in the semifinals. And in particular, they tried to, their best to get at Nigeria down, down the right side in this game. So that involved Kakana going wide with the ball and pushing Madau uh, right to the touchline. If you look at his heat map, he's on the touchline in this game. And I think that was to try and unsettle Bassey and Awobi and Aina on that side of the pitch, um, the, the Nigeria left side. So while South Africa did have this back through with wing backs in the, in the setup, it became a back four in possession with Kakana on the right uh, side of the back line and Madau on the right side of the midfield four. In possession, I thought that worked relatively well and I thought South Africa had a real foothold in that sense and I thought some of their passing sequences were good as well and that wasn't surprising given that how, how they played in this tournament. And when they there was a couple instances when they got into the final third when they were able to do that and maybe they did take a risk 
there was some nice interchange play that maybe leads to a, to a shot. And that, that was the frustrating thing about South Africa was I felt like they had an extra gear to go to. But Nigeria did a really good job of, of limiting, limiting them. I also thought out of possession, South Africa didn't look so organised and they struggled at times in defensive transition. But when you're against... Lukman and uh, Osman and is it Moses Simon who's the other attacker that, that of that front three for Nigeria it's difficult so in the end I, I kind of feel like the the individual talent that Nigeria had influenced how they played and the struggles that South Africa had in their game plan as well uh, I briefly was sort of pulling for South Africa to win this game because as we went into uh, extra time, we had Victor Osiman off in the 110th minute. And I feel like when you're taking him off, you are pretty much telegraphing, yeah, we're, we're happy to go to penalties here. And they bring on uh, a penalty taker who then gets fouled and we get a red card. And at that point, it felt like that could have been an exciting moment. But in the 112th minute, the red card actually given in like the 115th, I don't think this is going to impact things too much. It feels like, if anything, it's going to slow everybody down. But with the Osiman off, you then have that bad miss at the very end of extra time that you mentioned, Graham. And it felt like for a moment that could have been Nigeria maybe regretting that decision to bring off Osiman, especially because I'm, I think he has the speed to not get caught. And I wonder if he would have scored it outright if he'd still been on the pitch. But it doesn't matter because Nigeria ultimately uh, convert four, or excuse me, three of their four penalties. They don't have to take, or no, four of their five. Uh, only one miss, which was a pretty bad miss. But uh, you'll forgive me if my notes on the shootout are somewhat erratic because, Joe, I'm guessing you had a similar experience, Graham. I'm yep. not sure how you watched this one. But once again, be in and their coverage, which has been mostly fine. But in this shootout was fully egregious that uh, we get the first round that I believe it's in the second round that the feed just cuts. So you get shots of the crowd, which are clearly from pre-match uh, with no commentary. <laughs> so we have no idea what's happening. And then it comes back after uh, 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 I think it's uh, Magopa misses his penalty. It might have even been the first one. Wokena. Um but either way, when they do come back, the audio is then a good 20 seconds ahead of the picture. So oh, if no. you wanted there to be any drama as the player is putting the ball down, the commentator is telling you that he misses it. And it really limits the uh, the impact of the shootout when you have it literally broadcast what's yeah. going to happen. So that was not my favorite moment. Joe, did you find enjoyment in that one? Um, no, I, I did not. No. But Taylor, <laughs> you you prompted me to get to experience this moment because you'd uh -huh. watch this game. I, I think It sounded like you were watching it live from some messages yeah. in our Slack channel, and I watched it on a delay. And so I knew to turn the volume up from its its normal status as being off. There you go. I knew to turn the volume up so that I could experience the chaos that that really man, you called Bian's you know general approach fine in this tournament. I was not gonna be quite that generous, but we'll go with yeah. it. You prompted me to turn the volume up to get to experience the chaotic joys of the uh, audio and general production towards the end of this game. And I do appreciate you for that. Uh, I appreciate you, Joe, and I appreciate your appreciation. I appreciate uh William Trusta Kong, uh, who took the penalty in oh, regulation. Yeah. He's been so good at he this has. tournament. I, I think he's been the best player really? at, this, at this tournament. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, Nigeria are in this final because of the strength of their defence, as confusing as that has been because we thought that was going to be their weakness. And Trista Kong, he, he's the main man at the heart of that defence, isn't he? And you look at his qualities, physically strong, he's decent with the ball, he's played more passes at this tournament than any other Nigeria player. He's strong from set pieces. He's also got this like intangible quality that a lot of the best centre-backs have, which is like a natural calmness. He never seems flustered. He's always in control. And that extends to when he takes these penalty kicks, which he seems to be very good. And I thought it was clever. He went down the middle with his, um, I can't remember what he does in the shootout, but in the game, he goes down the middle against Williams because Williams had been, you know, pretty emphatically diving to yeah. either side in the previous shootout. So it looks like a, a bad, like a mishit penalty or a bad penalty. I think, I actually think it's a really smart penalty. And I, when you see him like this, Trista Kong, he plays for Pauk in Greece. You, you just kind of wonder, he must, he can't normally be up to this standard because he he ticks so many boxes, but he's he's had an excellent tournament. I think he's been the, yeah, I'd give, I'd give him the player of the tournament award at this Graham point. Ram hates Pauk. Got it. Okay. Yep. Noted. <laughs> That's what I heard too, Joe. Uh, to your point about the penalties though, Graham, I think you're absolutely right. That it does look for a moment like a scuffed penalty that very fortunately rolls under the goalkeeper and into the center of the net. Uh, but I think, I think when you go back and watch, it is definitely Williams leaving 
early. And I think that was the thing they picked up from the last shootout. And you can see that in the way Nigeria then took their penalties in the shootout, that there was a lot of that stutter step and staring him down and waiting for him to sort of cheat one way and then they would pass it the other. As the shootout goes on, there is more deliberateness to the way they take their penalties. Uh, Trista Kong, for example, I think when he takes his penalty in the shootout, bangs it banger. into the side netting. Yeah, towards the left. Penalty. Yeah. Oh. yeah, and and along the way, Williams is still guessing right when he does leave early, uh, and they go to that direction. So it felt to me like it was really good execution from, my, from Nigeria in terms of knowing what he was going to do and capitalizing on that. And then as he adjusted, they got more lethal with the accuracy. And And I think in the end... It's a credit to Nigeria. They get the shootout win. Uh, but commiserations to South Africa, who I think certainly had a stronger tournament than any of us were expecting. I did not have them in the semis. Uh, then again, Graham didn't even have Nigeria getting out of the group, lest we forget. Uh, now that I fired that dig off, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about uh, Ivory Coast. And we'll talk about uh, the final itself. And we'll do a little bit of a tournament look back back soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. In the break, Graham was chastising me for not pointing out that he said that every single team in this tournament would be good at various points. Graham, did you say the same thing about DR Congo? Did you have them in the semifinal? No, I did not. Okay. And I'm not entirely sure on this performance they deserve to be in the semifinals, frankly. <laughs> the team that didn't win a game, then won one game pretty emphatically, and then lost in the semifinal. You're not sure that they deserve to be here? Uh, in a kind of Portugal Euro 2016 mm-hmm. way, maybe they maybe they did. But they were not my favourite team to, to watch at this tournament, and their semifinal was not a classic, I think we yes. can agree. Uh, it did have a very interesting powerful moment i would say uh in the lineups in the national anthems the congolese players uh, for people who didn't see all stood with one hand over their mouths uh the other basically mimicking a gun pressed to their respective temples uh this was to protest uh or to spotlight the ongoing conflict in eastern congo which has seen militant rebel group m23 allegedly backed by the government of rwanda which rwanda denies but i believe the un agrees is the case uh that rebel group is conducting military operations with an objective of seizing the city of Goma, which has a population of over 1 million people. Thousands have been displaced. There have obviously been uh, killings and allegations of, of atrocities. Humanitarian uh, aid centers have been overwhelmed. Uh, there are UN peacekeepers there, I think, trying to uh, quell some of the uprising or some of the, the fighting and the violence, but uh, it has not gotten uh, significant media attention, certainly not in the West. Uh, so this was an attempt to sort of publicly spotlight that by the Congolese players and credit to them for doing so. Uh, and then the game kicked off and it was definitely a game that was on the screen. I am not going to lie, Joe. I watched this one live as well. And uh, having a toddler and a seven week old, the eyes got real heavy real quick. Uh, I did. Mm. I did manage to stay awake. I had to brew some coffee. I had to stand and watch uh, and kind of be on my feet for large stretches of this game because I wouldn't say it was one that was uh, necessarily gripping from start to finish. No, and and I think we're all agreed, or we will be after I make the argument that the Ivory Coast are to blame for this. They've been the chaos team of the tournament, and they will feature in my tournament look back later on, of course, because they have to. Uh, but this has been their whole thing. Like throughout the entire tournament, regardless of who the coach has been, they have been really, really poor and blunt in the final third. It's been a lot, a lot of Sekofofana long shots. It's a lot of crosses. That's where the one goal in this game comes from is a cross from the right wing that Sebastian Haller gets his right foot on, hits it into the ground, and it ends up in the back of the net. They have not totally played. Delivered. Totally oh, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Exactly how he drew um, it up. No, yeah, I mean, you always want to volley it into the ground and then eventually looping high into the back of the net. That's how I do it every time. Uh, gotcha. It's always on purpose. Like, this is this is the whole thing for the Ivory Coast. They have really struggled to create consistent chances despite a, a fairly consistent talent advantage. They certainly had one in this game against basically every opponent they've played in this competition so far. So I, if I'm DR Congo, 
I'm pretty happy with sitting back in a 4-4-1-1. At times, Ioane Wissa would, would drop back to sort of be a left wing back on that left side. And Wissa, in general, I thought was fantastic in this game. He's super fun to watch. You know, he is he's a Brentford signing in that he's a super kind of crafty, energetic, technical, versatile kind of player. Was playing in the left half space a lot in possession in this game, but would drift into the attack as well in, in more central areas. I really have enjoyed watching more of him, you know, than, than we see sometimes for Brentford in the Premier League. But like... DR Congo, I thought, approached this game fairly well. And to be honest, it didn't give up a ton of good looks in this match. Sometimes, though, when the opposing side has the best player and one of the better players in this tournament in Sebastian Hilaire, sometimes that is the thing that makes the difference. Yeah, the frustrating thing, Joe, about DRC's performance was I felt the matchup could have could have suited them. So I, I, I think it did. have been... Yeah, well, ex- exactly. There, there were certain elements that they did well, but in the attacking sense, it felt like... You know, Ivory Coast have been vulnerable to the counter at times in this tournament, especially in that 4-0 defeat to Equatorial Guinea. But it, to my eye, anyway, it just felt like DRC were, were too deep to ever exploit that. And Ivory Coast counter-pressing was also a factor, but DRC, it just felt like they were keeping a lot of players very, very deep. And that just gave them a lot of ground to make up, to get into attacking positions on a consistent basis. And of course, it happened occasionally, whether it was through uh, Wissa or, or, or Bakambu um, being involved as well. I never really felt like their attacking players were were connected. And in that aspect, this feels like a missed opportunity for them. I mean, Ivory Coast's story has been has been excellent. I am pleased that they have gone through to the final because I think they are the better team and they're certainly the better storyline as the host nation and everything that's happened to them at this tournament. DRC will look back at this as a winnable game. Ivory Coast are flawed. They are deeply flawed as a team. We've seen that in this tournament. And it was, it was there for... Uh, DR Congo they, I just felt like they never really pushed the issue or really imposed themselves much how much of the credit blame uh, for the way this game played out are we giving to the suspensions and the sort of lineup shakeups that had to happen because I think I was expecting Ivory Coast to look shakier than they did but I think at the same time you could see a lack of familiarity I didn't think they were as fluid not to say they've been fully fluid in this tournament but it felt like there were sort of there was a slowness to the way they built there was more of a uh like hold on where are you supposed to be oh wait you're supposed to be five yards further forward there sure. was just a slight delays in how they played out Joe are you giving any credit to the idea that maybe having three players suspended did not help Ivory Coast find the back of the net you know Taylor I'm willing to go out on a limb and say yeah that's that's probably about right interesting what I what I will say is um it maybe was a little less fluid, but I think even you got to that, Taylor, in your in your question there. Like, it hasn't been fluid for this yeah. team either. So I don't think, you know, if if the Ivory Coast had lost this game, the idea of them missing some of their players in the last match, Serge Aurier suspended, Kosanu was, was, uh, was out with a double yellows in that last game. Like, you know, they're missing pieces, yes, but when those pieces were there, it wasn't like this Ivory Coast team was really blowing the doors off of anybody. They sneaked past Mali in, in late, late, late extra time after getting an equalizer late, late, late in regulation in the last round. So it, it's not like this team has been doing a lot of crazy, excellent, tight possession work anyway. So yeah, I think it plays a part. I just think it's you know not towards the top of the list of, of actual impactful factors in this match. Are there any players that maybe haven't been starting that we feel like might keep that spot in the final? Sebastian Haller would be the the obvious one. Do we feel like he, based on this performance, uh, is likely to start in the final? Oh, he better. He better start <laughs> in, the, in the final. Yeah, he just makes such a, a, a difference for Ivory Coast. He, he is so important to Ivory Coast getting the, the ball up the pitch. He's good in the air. He takes up good goal-scoring positions. But I think most important is the way that he allows runners to to get forward to join him. And DRC, in the good moments for Ivory Coast, DRC couldn't deal with the, the volume of runners that were coming at them. And they were just, I thought they were quite passive at moments as well. And the spaces they were leaving were quite big. And you could kind of see the Hilaire goal coming, maybe not in the manner that it did arrive with him uh, with that shot into the turf and then over the goalkeeper. But there's a couple other opportunities he has as well. There's a particularly good uh, headed opportunity where the cross from the right side is right on top of his forehead and he gets a strong header to it and just powers it past the post. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the XG was on that, but that's that Graham, felt like a golden opportunity for Graham, him to me. I can tell you I have that in my notes, and I unironically wrote, should have done, and then stopped, and wrote dot, 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 because I knew how Joe would feel about me concluding that phrase. <laughs> but I'm with you. That was a header that it felt like if he's a little bit sharper, has a little bit more match fitness, and has been playing 
more regularly in this tournament, maybe that's in the back of the net. So maybe he just needed that warm-up opportunity to then bang a volley yeah. into the ground and up into the air and then into the goal. I mean, it's. I think XG maybe wouldn't take into account the player getting into such a good position True. and getting like their True. heads in it in such a good uh, position to to direct it towards goal. He did everything right. That's why I feel like it was such a golden opportunity because at the moment he makes the contact, you're thinking this is in the back of the net, um, and for whatever reason he directs it wide. But you could you could kind of sense Hilaire was going to make the the difference. So if he's if he's fit and on this basis it, it seems like he is fit enough to start matches, he has to be in that lineup against Nigeria on Sunday. All right, let's talk a little bit more about that final. Then let's start with. I'm going to say opportunities for Nigeria, which is my way of saying I have some concerns about Ivory Coast. Uh, when they take the lead, uh, the commentator pointed out, uh, who was not out of sync, so that was a positive, uh, that we haven't seen Ivory Coast take the lead since their opening game of the tournament. That's the way this this one has gone for them. And I feel, I believe I'm correct in saying that they have either conceded a goal or given up clear opportunities in the first 10 minutes of like every game so far in this tournament. Uh, in this game versus Congo, there's the there's the moment when the ball is in the back of the net, but it's ruled out. But it's Fofana, the goalkeeper, coming, not getting the ball cleanly, spilling it. I guess there's a judge to have been some contact there or maybe too much contact. So the goal is disallowed. But even that for me was a moment of uncertainty for this Ivory Coast team. And I think if you're Nigeria... I think it makes a lot of sense to really go at them aggressively in those first 15 minutes and see what you can do. I think as the game goes on, um, it, f- it favors Ivory Coast because they're the home nation, because they fought back multiple times in this tournament. I think for Nigeria, there's an opportunity there if they can sort of go at them aggressively, catch them on their heels, maybe catch them being slightly overawed by the moment. Uh, and I, I do think that there's a chance for something to happen uh, if Nigeria could be aggressive in that way. Do either of you have uh, areas of potential opportunity for Nigeria or vulnerability for Ivory Coast, I should say? Yeah, I think I think they go together, certainly. You think about how these teams tend to play, right? So Ivory Coast throughout this competition, regardless of the manager, have kept a decent amount of the ball. So they're fourth right now in AFCON, looking at the entire tournament, the 24 teams, even though a lot of those teams now, all but two of them are are out. They're fourth overall in average possession so far with 57.6%. You look at the other end of this matchup, Nigeria are 19th, 43.9%. I bring those things up not to say, you know, that because Ivory Coast keep the ball, they're going to win, or because Nigeria don't, they'll, they'll win or lose, right? I bring that up to say, I think it's fair to expect a certain pattern from this game. There will be times, Taylor, to your point, where it might make sense for Nigeria to go more aggressive and to step forward and to try to control the game because they have the quality to be really dangerous. There will be, though, I would imagine, many more times when Ivory Coast are in possession, and we've seen what happens when they're in possession. It's a lot of Sekifafana long shots. It's a lot of crosses in from wide areas. Things that Nigeria should be set up to deal with quite well because they have three center backs. They have big bodies in the back. And after they deal with those moments, they have really quick, smart, skillful attackers and the best player in this in this tournament still and one of the best in this region and Victor Osiman knifing the other way. So I really like the potential of Nigeria to either frustrate the Ivory Coast or just to let the Ivory Coast frustrate themselves because they've been doing a great job of that in this tournament <laughs> and then go at them the other way because we've seen Nigeria be dangerous in transition. We're still sort of waiting for this big Victor Osiman breakout moment. And it's hard for me to think of a better time to have that moment. Breakouts maybe not the right word, but you guys know what I mean there. Like, we're still waiting for him to have that big moment at this tournament, and the final feels like a pretty darn good time for it. Graham, we've seen this Ivory Coast team uh, concede fouls, concede cards, concede red cards to speedy attackers or attacks that develop in transition and maybe catch them uh-huh. out of position. Can you see that as an opportunity with Victor Osiman driving at that Ivory Coast back line, which is so odd because we talked about in the preview, in the tournament preview, about how they have very capable defenders and very experienced defenders, but some of that seems to go out the window when they fa- face an attacker who's got the ball at their feet and is, in- is intent on going at goal, and that seems to describe Victor Osiman pretty well. Yeah, I think that is a real danger for for the Ivory Coast. Nigeria have really leaned into this identity as a counter-attacking team. We saw it fairly early in the tournament, and I I kind of raised the possibility that I I think that suits the players that they have really well, and and, and it has throughout this tournament. So I certainly favour Nigeria as as the favourite. I agree with everything that Joe says about the potential matchup. I just I just wonder. I also see some similarities between these two teams as well. And I just have a concern in the final where we obviously want a good game, a good entertaining game. 
I just have this concern that maybe they cancel each other out a little bit. Um, obviously, I'm thankful for the the wrinkle in terms of the two formations the two teams use with Nigeria using wingbacks. Um, and so there will be that. There might be opportunities for the wingbacks to exploit down the sides of like Serge Aurier, which feels like an area you would uh, potentially target if you were Nigeria. So I am thankful for that, that tactical wrinkle. But I, I still think of what these games tend to be like, what knockout matches are like generally. There's just a little bit too much overlap between the two for me to confident, confidently predict that this will be an absolute banger of a game. If we run through the Ivory Coast potential starting 11 for a moment, do we see any any sort of big changes, any big decisions to be made? My assumption is Fofana continues to start in goal. Conan will be your left back. Evan and Dicka will be one of your center backs. Do either of you have strong thoughts on who should be the other center back? We have Kosonu who could come back. Willy Boli uh, started this game. Uh, you still have Giamonde on the bench as well. Uh, of those three, who would you most like to see start for the Ivory Coast, uh, if any? <sighs> I think there are, is a really strong argument to keep Willy Bali in the lineup yeah, after agreed. giving some stability in the last game. With that being said, I think Kosano is the best player of that bunch. Uh, but I mean, Bali has a little bit more experience there, and I think you know the the momentum you already have from the semifinal maybe makes that decision fairly straightforward. Uh, but this is a, a moment where I'm thankful that we get to talk yeah. about this decision rather yeah. than actually have to make it. Uh, Graham, it sounds like you are in agreement with Willy Bali. What about at right back? Would you yeah, have Serge Aurier come back? That was the other one I was going to raise. So Willie Bolly, I thought, had a really good game against DRC. And and Single at right back, I just felt like a little bit more measured in his performance and his actions than Serge Aurier. I know Serge Aurier, we can, we what, can, we can what, dump What is measured pretty. doing the heavy lifting for? What do you mean when you say seemed more measured? Uh, I have more faith in Single to stay on the pitch for the entire 90 minutes or 120 <laughs> minutes than I do with Serge Aurier. Cool. Put it that way. Cool. That's what I really mean in that in that sense. So yeah, the, the, Bolly and, and Single would be the two I'd, I'd, I'd be looking at. There's also something to be said for Singo being more of a defensive-minded presence. He's played at center back yeah. a decent amount of, um, at club level as well. Between time, I believe, in Italy, and then now he's with, with Monaco. So, especially thinking about Nigeria and, and their danger moments, I, I don't think Serge Aurier, as a more attacking presence in that right-back spot, solves your attack. So I would lean more defensive than and just almost feeling like it's time to give up on really being any adding any incision into the attack, and I, I would go with a more defensive option at right-back. Uh, and then I would assume the same midfield trio that we saw against Diarrakongo, Fofana, Seri, yeah. and Kessier. Yeah, Sarri's been the, the big change as the managerial shift has happened yeah. with Fi coming in. So I, I, I think he will continue to be in that role. And then that would probably mean Sangare, who I think was replaced by Sarri, maybe being a substitute around the 60th minute, which is what I think we've seen more recently. What about in the front line? So we've, we've landed on Sebastian Haller starting in an ideal world. Uh, what about on either side of him? We saw uh, Simona Dingra and uh, Gradel in the game versus Dira Congo. I've been pretty hyped about a Dingra since before the tournament, so I hope he starts, but we could see Nicola Pepe. We could even see uh, Umar Diakite, uh, who is suspended, but obviously scored the goal against Mali. He could potentially start. Uh, of those combinations, who are the two that, Graham, you would most like to see on the wings? So I think it has to be Hilaire as the centre forward, the Dingra on the left side. The right wing is the, the one that there are a few different options. Uh, Gradle or Gradle, however you pronounce that, is not someone I'm terribly familiar with. Uh, this tournament's really the only time, maybe I've caught him in passing before, but this tournament's kind of my first exposure to him as as, as a player. Mm -hmm. He's 36 years old, so it might be the only exposure I get to him as a, of, of him as a, as a player. But uh, Nicolas Pepe, I think of someone who is useful when you have space to burst into. And I'm not entirely sure Nigeria will provide a lot of that in this game, especially if their game plan is to sit back and, and then break on Ivory Coast. So from the limited exposure I've had of Gradle in this game against DR Congo, he seemed a little bit more comfortable against a low defensive block. So I would potentially keep him in the team uh, as well for the final. Joe, how do you feel about that? Deal. Graham, I'm on board. <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> that is a, as good of an explanation as any. So it was Gradel, uh, Alaire and Adingra, Graham? Yes, correct. All right, and do we see any, in what we've seen from Nigeria, do we see any potential opportunities for the Ivory Coast in this game? If you were them, what would you spotlight? What would you be attacking? What would you be hoping to neutralize, aside from Victor Osimhen? Yeah, well, that, that is where I was going to start there, Taylor, because we haven't seen Victor Osimhen, like I said earlier, truly 
dominate a game. And I don't think we've seen him get on the ball as much as he should be on the ball for Nigeria. You know, dropping a little bit to help them in their possession. He will be an out an asset and an outlet in transition for them. But if I'm the Ivory Coast, one of my biggest strengths is I have a lot of size, I have a lot of strength and a lot of technical ability through central midfield and through the middle of the back line. Like I feel pretty good about the game when I keep Victor Osimhen in front of me. I don't feel so good about the game when Victor Osimhen and the rest of that Nigeria front three are running at me in, in transition, which is a real danger. But one thing that the Ivory Coast can do in general to nullify Nigeria is be really sharp with their rest defense, to be really sharp with their positioning before they lose the ball, anticipating that most of the time, you're not going to end up putting the ball in the back of the net, which means you will end up losing the ball in the final third. Ivory Coast know that already. If they're sharp at their positioning, if they have a body or two bodies right on or near Victor Osiman, if they have their fullbacks in disciplined positions, maybe a little deeper downfield, tucked in a little bit to deal with Lookman and to deal with Moses Simon coming the other way, like all of a sudden, Nigeria being scary in transition don't look so scary in transition. Uh, Graham, for you, any if an Ivory Coast, uh, if an Ivorian listener is excited for this final, how can you make them more excited? So I think South Africa were on to something with targeting the left sides of the Nigeria uh, team. Calvin Bassey has had a good tournament, right? I don't want to uh, bring him down too much, but I've watched a lot of Calvin Bassey. Calvin Bassey is in no way press resistant. That was always one of his flaws. We've seen that for Fulham in the Premier League this season. If you can get players around Calvin Bassey, you can fluster him. He will cough up the ball. And I think uh, Ayina on that left side as well is, is relatively similar um so south africa they clearly targeted that hugo bros i think is 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 a good coach i think he must have done that for a reason it didn't quite pan out in the way that they wanted it to in the semi-final but if ivory coast are able to uh, really disrupt nigeria on that on that left side then i think that's something that would be worth looking into my one final little thing which who knows if this is actually a real thing or not uh amers uh the the uh, interim appointment is now going to be their their permanent head coach, the Ivory Coast, after this tournament because of what he's done in the tournament. They announced that before the semifinal win over DR Congo, uh, and I do think he has earned that. There is obviously a but coming now. Uh, however, uh, in watching this game and in and in looking at the cooling breaks, it, it does seem like he has sort of gone with a you guys are professionals, you know sort of what you need to do, I'm going to set you up to win, and then you all are going to kind of make it happen. And a lot of the cooling breaks, you could see individual groups of players having very animated conversations, and that's great if you are sort of having key takeaways and learning something from it. By contrast, the DR Congo in a huddle, having very much like team-wide conversations, clearly about tactics and how to play and how to like neutralize threats, and that doesn't end up fully working for, for Congo, but I do also look at some of the talent disparity between the two. And I think Nigeria do seem like they are a, a very well-organized team with that shift to the back three, and they seem to have more of a team-wide idea of what they want to do at any given moment. So that is one thing I will be keeping an eye on, is is that the case? Do we see more of a team-wide approach to this game from Ivory Coast or from Nigeria versus individual play from uh, the Ivory Coast? How does the managerial sort of difference come to play, or does it play out at all? I, I do think there's just a little wrinkle there with how the individual aspect of Ivory Coast could be a potential problem if they find themselves behind early. But we shall see what happens there. Obviously, we'll be back to review that final on Monday. We've got a busy weekend ahead of us, not even counting the Super Bowl. Uh, but this show is not yet done. We're going to take one more break, and we'll be back to talk about some of our favorite moments from this tournament. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... 
I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. Uh, somewhat briefly, gentlemen, we're going to review our favorite moments of the uh, the 2023, but really 2024 Africa Cup of Nations. Graham, let's start with how Ivory Coast uh, have gotten here. Any favorite moments for you from the Ivory Coast? Yeah, I think there's a number of favorite moments that have been produced by the Ivory Coast, or at least produced in games involving them. But I think I'll always remember the Ivory Coast win over Mali in the quarterfinals. It was arguably the most chaotic match there has ever been at a major tournament. Three red cards, a missed penalty, an equaliser on 90 minutes, and then a winner on 120 minutes by the host nations who had sacked their manager the week before. Just an insane sequence of events. And I said this earlier in the tournament, if Ivory Coast pulled this off and they beat Nigeria in the final on Sunday, I think it will be one of the most incredible tales uh, told by any team at any major tournament in history it will be that incredible so yeah have to, ivory coast have to be top of my list just for the sheer chaos that yeah. they've been involved with yeah agreed graham that is the correct uh way to go and taylor the correct way to start us off one other just crazy wrinkle about what's coming up here is we've already seen these two teams play in the final so not only would the ivory coast or, sorry play in this tournament like not only have we already seen these two teams match up but ivory coast have gone through so much craziness since that group stage matchup, and if they do win the final, and I'm, I'm leaning more and more towards Nigeria doing that. Ryan, are you proud of me? I'm making a prediction. Nigeria are going to win this thing. Um, like, Not only are we seeing Ivory Coast march their way here, but if they do win this final, it would be a reversal of the score from the group stage. It would be a reversal of that result. Like So many things have happened for the Ivory Coast. They started the tournament off with a banger with Seko Fofana doing the one thing that he does in the final third, and it was a fantastic goal that really set the tone for what has been an incredibly enjoyable tournament. Like This tournament has been so much fun. One of the reasons why, in my mind, it's been so much fun, and this is less of a specific moment and more a series of moments across different teams in this competition, is what we spent a lot of the first few AFCON shows talking about, which is the underdogs. We come in and we make predictions and we talk about which teams are going to be you know, moving out of different groups. Like I, None of us had Equatorial Guinea, Cape Verde, or Angola topping their groups with seven points, all of them. Like Different ways that they went about and did it. Cape Verde were, were more aggressive than Equatorial Guinea or Angola. Like Some teams better on free kicks, some teams better in open play. Like All of these teams took different approaches, but the fact that we got to see so many crazy results so early in this tournament put the favorites in bad spots, and a lot of them ended up underperforming at this competition. I think about Algeria and their really disappointing run, not getting out of the group, finishing bottom of Group D. Like Those underdogs created so many storylines in this competition, and I honestly think, I'm not sure that one specific moment will stick with me from this tournament forever. Some stories will, but the general feeling of just complete chaos and disarray so early on, that is something that will stick with me. Yeah. The Bebe Stunner, if we're talking about yes. upsets and Cap Verde going on a run, the Bebe Stunner from 40 yards out will stay with me, Joe. Uh, had any had any player scored that goal, it would have made this list. But the fact that it was Manchester United legend, Bebe, just made it even better. I can't quite believe that he's still playing at this at this kind of level. That I'd imagine that makes your list as well, Taylor, the Bebe goal. I mean, it has to. I was so sad he missed his penalty uh, because of the way this tournament has been for him as a... As a narrative builder, similar to Gal Kakuta, a player that I think Ryan yeah. was constantly amazed that we were still somehow talking about. He misses a couple games in this tournament, but he comes back in for the semifinal and I wouldn't say sets the world alight, but it was a sort of redemption tournament for players that we know the names of, maybe not for the most ideal reasons. Uh, a player whose name I, I was not familiar with, but is maybe the player I will remember uh, like a year or so from now is Ronwin Williams, who... I, we talked about this uh, when it happened. Like, 
has any goalkeeper ever saved four shots in a shootout like in a five round shootout i cannot remember that ever happening so i think in the same way that if ivory coast go on to win this whole thing they become the immediate the team that was literally the last possible team to advance out of the group then goes on to win the tournament i think if ever we're talking about greatest performance in a shootout he will be a name that will be uh, on the list for me having saved four and that's one of the best things about AFCON, Taylor, is when you hear past generations talking about World Cups decades ago, the, the, one of the things they enjoyed most, about, most of all about those tournaments was um, being exposed to players that they, they hadn't heard of before, that maybe they weren't that familiar um, with. And obviously the, the amount of coverage that World Cups are, are given now, we don't, we don't really have that now. When, when a World Cup happens, we kind of know everything about all the players. But because African football is not covered in the same way, maybe it should be covered in this in the same way, but it isn't. There are players in Afcon tournaments who just become superstars out of nowhere. I think of Mabululu, who I hadn't heard of before this tournament, and I, I now think of him as one of the stars of this tournament. Scored three goals, spearheaded that Angola attack that was really really fun in the end and of course had the Bafatembe Gomez celebration to top it all off so I love that about AFCON for just for a month you become fascinated and obsessed with these players that otherwise you wouldn't have had that exposure to well I have very much uh, enjoyed this tournament I've enjoyed uh, covering it with you two fine fellows any other moments to be discussed uh, individuals that we should spotlight before we uh, just look ahead to the final I think I proclaimed my love for Prince Tijueza early on in this mm-hmm. competition, sort of, you know, number 10, number eight, left half space guy for Namibia, which also leads me to another pretty awesome moment from this competition. Tijueza is not involved in this goal, but it's, I believe, Namibia's first game of the whole thing. Their only win as well, if I'm remembering correctly. It's laid on in the match against Tunisia, and and this is like a, a big moment for Namibia. It's a big chance for them to, to get something. It's nil-nil still, and Dion Hoto heads in a, a really nice cross on the left side, and scores and you can just see the celebrations and how much it means like it's a cliche but that is absolutely one of the coolest parts of the sport is getting to see those kinds of moments and you don't get as much of that in the club game like we talk about you know at times the quality of the international game just straight up isn't as good and I think that's correct because these players aren't with their teams nearly as often but like you don't get often that raw emotion coming through and getting to see Namibia celebrate in that moment you know Mauritani had some awesome moments here as well like some of these teams, again, on the underdog side that you don't necessarily expect a lot from doing stuff is a huge part of what makes this entire competition so fun. Uh, I agree, Joe. And I think it also provides a nice sort of uh, like test point for where things go from here, because for some of these countries, it would be wonderful to see them continue on and continue to have success and compete in AFCON or maybe even qualify for the World Cup. But then other, I would say, more disappointing countries in this competition, like, say, Egypt, Ghana, Cameroon, to some extent, uh, Algeria, Tunisia, even. Those are nations that I I will be interested to see how they pick up from here, where they go from here. How do they improve things? Is it a new manager? Is it recruitment of dual nationals? Is it changing the program entirely? But those are those are teams that I think I had higher expectations for coming into this tournament that now I'm not sure where they will be at this time next year even. So keeping an eye on the teams that have done well, but also paying attention to the teams that have not done well, I think equally compelling, which I guess leaves maybe like Guinea in the middle as a team that I probably won't be keeping an eye on quite as much. I'm going to call them a a middle performer in this competition. Um, And since I am rambling about nations like Guinea, I feel like that is probably an appropriate time to end this episode. Graham Ruffin, thank you for talking about these semifinals and previewing the final with me thank you taylor rockwell and joe lowry the same to you uh and a special consideration for not uh having a chinese stadium constructed in your backyard yet it's coming taylor i'm more kind of getting that deal done taylor this was fun thanks for hosting as always listeners thank you all for joining us hopefully you had fun as well and we will talk to you again tomorrow 